It was on Christmas Day, 1985, that the cartoon, A Family Circus, on Christmas Day looked like this. It's a little bit hard to see it from where you are, perhaps, because it's black and white. It doesn't come in color at that time, but I reproduced it here on the worship guide. But if you can look at it, you'll see the four children of that family surrounded by toys. It's Christmas morning, no doubt. There's a Christmas tree in the left-hand portion of that circle. And the kids are all busy opening their presents. And it looks like a big brother there says, this is our best Christmas ever, not a drop of clothes so far. That's the mind of a child, we say. It's a child who has a hard time distinguishing between wants and needs. But we know better, don't we? We know that telling the difference between wants and needs is something that we not only grow up with, but stays with us and matures in our lives. And it either heads in one of two directions. It produces an adult who is selfish, always thinking of themselves, self-centered, Or, if God is at work in your heart and in your life, especially at a time like Christmas, then the idea of distinguishing between needs and wants, especially at Christmas, will help an adult to become generous, help those of us who want to serve the cause of Christ to do so in a way that lets people know that we understand that there's a bigger picture in mind. That's what... This version of the family circus, Christmas, says to me, I full well know the joy of Christmas morning. I want it. I have experienced it with my own children, want to share it with grandchildren. I remember my parents providing for my brother and my sister and I uh, wonderful times and memories of Christmas, of, of gifts, of presents. Nothing wrong with that. Unless... It becomes all-consuming. When Paul the Apostle wrote to the church at Philippi, it's a little four-chapter letter called Philippians. It's toward the end of the New Testament. It's one of the 13 letters that Paul wrote. He wrote these words in the closing verses of the fourth chapter. He said, And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Philippians is one of four of Paul's letters that we know was written from Captivity, prison epistles they're called. Most likely, Paul was incarcerated under house arrest. He wasn't chained to a wall, but he did not have the freedom to come and go on his own personal recognizance. He was in Rome. He had appealed his case to Caesar some months or perhaps as long as two years before. And immediately when he appealed with his Roman citizenship to take his case to Caesar, he was in Jerusalem, in Israel at that time, 
All things were put on hold and he was immediately transferred to Rome. The book of Acts tells us that that journey from Israel to Rome was treacherous. It was by ship most of the way. He endured a shipwreck. God was at work in Paul's life even in the midst of that treacherous journey. And when he finally arrived in Rome, he was placed under house arrest until Caesar would hear his case. It's unclear exactly how long Paul waited for that hearing before Caesar. But it appears that Paul was eventually set free and was able to accomplish some things before once again he was imprisoned, before he was martyred. It was during that imprisonment in Rome when Paul wrote four of his letters. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the personal note, the shortest of his letters, to the individual, the man named Philemon. It's within these captivity letters that if we care to look deep enough, we're going to find some eternal truths. We're going to find how to live our lives regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. And I think that this season of Advent... Nearing the day of Christmas, as we think of the fun that goes along with this season, as we remember a comic strip, perhaps, that makes us laugh, makes us smile, but also reminds us of some of life's most important issues. I think Paul does the same thing here. So what I want to do is use these words from the closing verses of this letter to the church at Philippi to draw some conclusions, to ask some questions, and always going back to God's Word, doing our best to understand why Paul wrote what he wrote, why he did what he did. Ask God's Spirit to impress upon us how we might honor Him in the way we live. So it begins much of what we saw in the comic strip. We know the phrase, all I want for Christmas is... There's a funny Christmas carol written about that. All I want for Christmas is my what? Two front teeth. All I want for Christmas. It is a phrase that we train our children to ask when they sit in the lap of a famous person. It's what we ask of our own family members when we're trying our best to not waste our effort on gift giving, but to get something that will mean something. There's nothing wrong with that statement. All I want for Christmas. In our extended family, we have gone away from buying presents for everyone, and we do the draw number. And so of our children and the ones who are married, of their uh, spouses, we at some time, I think it was before Thanksgiving, had a lottery. We just drew numbers or you drew a name. And so you're responsible for within the siblings and the, the spouses, you're just going to buy one gift. And so the question automatically comes, you know, well, you know, Grayson, what do you want? What is it you would like? All I want for Christmas is... But you know, for some people, that becomes all Christmas is. It is all about what I want. The retail sales figures for this season of the year seem to have a great impact upon everything else we do during the year, or else they wouldn't make such a big deal about it. 
The idea of tracking online sales now has become a statistical analysis that tells a story in and of itself. They call it Black Friday or whatever Monday is afterward when online sales are at their height. The people that deliver packages, there's a particular day of the year when they're going to deliver more packages through the mail carriers or the special delivery people. It's a science. It's an art. It's all based upon all I want for Christmas is. But yet, Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God supplies our needs. And folks, we know there's a tremendous difference between wants and needs. And there's no better time to remind ourselves or to hear the teaching of the Word of God that tells us that in the closing chapters of a book that Paul wrote or a letter that Paul wrote from captivity, from prison, he doesn't talk about wants. So there was plenty he probably could have put on his want list. He talked about God supplying his needs. You know, it's been that way all the way through the Bible. We just care to look. The children of Israel, when they're traveling from Mount Sinai to that promised land, it only took them, what, 40 years to make that journey that should have taken just a matter of days. But because of their disobedience, a whole generation wandered and died off before a new generation. Their children grew up and could obey or at least face the prospect of obeying God. And during that time, how did God provide for them? He provided manna, that food substance that God put upon the earth every morning. But you read further in those passages and you will find that the people who tried to grab and store and ration and put it aside, that the manna spoiled by the day's end. And so they only had enough to supply their need for the day. And the next morning they would have to get up and gather again. It's interesting that the Scripture says that they devised a system, whereas those who couldn't gather as fast, the younger ones would gather more to give to those who couldn't. And so everyone had their needs provided on a daily basis. All I want for Christmas is... Whereas God's Word says through Paul the Apostle that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. They say that there are five things, five gifts that are on the top of everyone's list and they gathered this through internet sales. Top of the list is a smartphone. That's a, a iPhone, a phone that will surf the internet, take pictures and all that. That's the number one gift idea this year. Number two is a flat screen TV. I would take it to be number one any day over a smartphone, but that's the way it is. Number two is a flat screen TV. Number three is laptop computers. Number four, tablets, those iPad or those tablet readers. That's surprising to me because I thought they would be closer to the top, but apparently they're more of an elite gift, at least this year. And then rounding out the bottom five, or the top five at the bottom, is a game console. 
I'm not sure what that means. Does that mean uh, uh, Nintendo? Not Nintendo. Um, Donkey Kong? Was is, is that still around? <laughs> Help me here, kids. What? What? Xbox. Excuse me. Xbox. Okay. Xbox or Sony, PlayStation. Okay. Those are the top five. People are all over those because they want them. We have an initiative in the life of our church and community. You may know about it, you may not. I wanted to let you know about it. There's a, a group of refugees that live in our area called Chin. Maybe you've read about them in our worship guide, or maybe you volunteer and help. It's been several years since this group of people have been coming to America. They're escaping persecution in their land of Burma. And they're is a sizable group of refugees from Burma, Chin, a people group from that area who live here in Louisville. They are predominantly a Christian people group. So much so that if you ask a Chin if he or she is a believer, they will say yes, but sometimes it's because they have no other choice. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, yes, I'm a Christian, and underneath their breath, it's because I don't have any choice. So some of them are here, and they are truly, fully devoted followers of Jesus. Some are more nominal than others. You'd expect that in any group of people. But they live here. We were asked as a church family for individuals to pray about adopting a Chin family. And I never felt led to do so until just a few weeks ago when Mars now began to think about why wouldn't we? And so we did. The setup is very easy. You agree to make a connection with one of these families. And the caseworker, her name's Becky Johnson. She's a member of First Baptist Flower Mound. Uh, Village Church and Valley Creek and our church are the four main congregations that plug in and help this movement right now. But you make an appointment with her, come in and talk with her. She tells you what's expected. And then she tells you that she'll pray about it and let you know of the family assignment she's going to give you. Well, we went through that. She told us what was expected, what we were going to do. Meet with them once a week. We don't, we don't give them everything. We can help them if we want to, but we're mainly here to help equip them to survive and to thrive in, in our area, in our country. She called us the next week, gave us our assignment. Rombik Songte is the dad. I'm still having to read the names till I get them embedded in my memory. Twok Tim is the mom. Rombik is 41, almost 42 years of age. Mom is the same age, 41. Two boys, Chow Mong is in the eighth grade at Huffines Middle School. And Rung Chung, he just said, call me Rung. Rung is in the fourth grade at Lakeland Elementary. The boys can speak English. They can translate pretty well. Mom and dad have a harder time. We went last Monday, apartment complex called Village West right down Edmonds, apartment number 65. I was blown away. Because you know what? I looked at Marcy after we left, and I said, Marcy, I don't 
want anything. And I don't need, in the sense of personal agendas, I don't need anything. Do you? We took this family immediately to Walmart and bought them coats. Because last week was cold. We took them home. I have an appointment tomorrow afternoon. And my main task is to help Rongbik to be able to handle enough English to follow directions. Such as move the forklift to the left. Or go to the right and retrieve that package and bring it to the loading dock. See, he can't hold a job. He's a hard worker. He's a very devout person. But until he can handle enough English to follow basic directions, he's always going to be hired and then politely laid off after a while, which is understandable. And here, we run around. All I want for Christmas is... When right around us are people who have come to this country because they want freedom and they smile when we offer them the least bit of attention. All I want when God says He's going to supply all of my needs, which he's done a hundred million fold. And there are people in our midst who have desperate needs that we can meet as well. Now, I don't say that to put anybody on a guilt trip. You may or may not feel led to adopt one of these families, but you might. You might. We have the opportunity as a church family to minister to orphan children in Guatemala, which we still do. That means much. We have the opportunity to minister to teenage moms right here in our community. We have a group of teen moms that are here. We're not here to do anything other than to help them get acclimated to life as it is for them. And to let them know that there's a church here in this area that actually cares. kind of makes me think differently about what I want, what I need, and most of all, what I can give. See, it all comes down to what kind of Messiah I'm looking for. Isn't that the real truth here? I mean, I ask the question, what kind of Messiah do you expect? Because in Philippians 4, the closing verses of that letter, Paul talks about the riches and glory of Christ Jesus, greeting every saint in Christ Jesus. Because Paul had a fairly good picture of who Jesus was and what Jesus came to do and how Jesus was living through his life. But I think some of us have a problem. And it goes all the way back to the New Testament. 
Christmas time, why did King Herod have an issue with a baby born in a manger? Two years later, he was hunting him down because he felt that this Messiah was a threat to him. Because he felt this Messiah was going to be nothing but a military conqueror. And there were lots of good Jews who felt the same way. They even formed their own political group called the Zealots. They were revolutionaries. One of them, named Simon, was one of the twelve that Jesus chose to be a disciple. But yet Simon's intent was what? Was to find a Messiah that would lop off the heads of the Roman emperors, Roman rulers, and restore them back to the days of King David when they were mighty. That was the kind of Messiah he wanted. Simon Peter, bless his heart. He loved Jesus with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength. But when it came right down to it, he looked Jesus in the eyes and said, No, Lord, you will never die. You'll die over my dead body. I will never, never turn away from you. And yet the cock crowed twice before that morning. Peter had denied the Lord three times. Why? Because he was looking for a Messiah that Jesus never intended to be. Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. That should have been a hint to some people. He didn't ride in there on a charger stallion with a sword at his side. He rode on the back of a donkey. And people were lauding him and screaming at him. But 48 hours later, they were screaming that he'd be crucified. Why? Because he wasn't the Messiah they wanted him to be. And if you and I want a Messiah that's going to answer, give me what I want and here's what I want then we're looking for the wrong Messiah. Are we ever going to get it? Folks, behind this, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is a verse for givers. This isn't an open-ended promise. This isn't a blank check. Paul's writing, remember, do a, little, do a little thinking here. Let your mind help you here. God gave you one. Think through. Why did Paul write these words? He wrote them because a group of people in Philippi, Greece, loved him enough to send an ambassador named Epaphroditus, one of the young men. He made a two-month journey from Philippi all the way to Rome to bring Paul a letter, a love offering, some money to help him get by. Because he had no occupation. He couldn't be a tent maker while he was in prison. Epaphroditus grew sick almost to the point of death. Paul nursed him back to health and sent him back. It was almost like Paul went, oh, I'm so thankful that Epaphroditus didn't go to heaven as a result of this trip he made to supply my needs. So Paul writes back to a group of people who had given generously. And he writes this promise to them. He doesn't write it to a group of people who give in a token manner, who give when pressured, who give in a grudging manner. He's not writing to people like that. He's not writing to people who live in our present day, who their simple thought is, what I want is, and if I don't get that, I'll quit praying. See, he writes it to givers. He says, you people went above and beyond. You gave way beyond your means. And in return, I want to tell you that my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's who he's writing to. 
and we live in our opulence. We live in a county where the median income is far and above the level of anyone else on the face of the earth. And we find it hard to not give generously, but to give it all. I can't ignore the last little verse there. And that's where we'll quit. He says there in verse 21, greet every saint in Jesus Christ. That means saint means believer. Every, every person who's a follower of Jesus, say hello to them. And then he says, all the saints, all the Christians greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And he just says that as an aside, but it's not. Caesar's household. He doesn't mean Caesar's blood family. He means Caesar's helpers. Those who attended to the Roman emperor. Those who helped him put forth his agenda. Those that were by his side, his cabinet, if you will. Those that were in his employ. And who wasn't? He was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And yet, there were believers in that group. There were Christians that were serving Caesar. There were Christians in Caesar's cabinet of government. And Paul says, they send greetings. Now, I don't know if anyone can trace how those believers got there. I have an idea. I think Paul had a little something to do with it. For he had a praetorian guard that was on an eight-hour shift, no doubt. And over time, Paul began to talk to this person. They began to see there was something different about this man. And he began to share conversationally why he was willing to change his entire life plan and serve this man named Jesus. And so there were some soldiers converted who prayed the prayer of salvation. And they told their families and they told others. And whatever reason, we know on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, there were people from all over the world. And maybe those people went back to Rome. And eventually, over time, some people in very, very high, precarious places of leadership found themselves loving Jesus and figuring out how to serve him in a hostile environment. Because you remember, Caesar didn't like anyone claiming lordship over him. And that's what Paul died for. No, I will not say Caesar is Lord. I will say Jesus is Lord. All the believers, especially those of Caesar's household, greet you. Is it possible to live a life of faith in the midst of persecution and trouble? Apparently so. Is it worth it? Apparently so. And here we live in a land that is founded upon religious freedom. And we spend our time, what, arguing about how hard it is? And most of our thoughts are, this is what I want. Last thing Becky Johnson told Marcy and Stephen when we had that appointment with her, that's the caseworker for the Chin people. She said, the last thing I want to tell you is, oh, and by the way, I said, could you please 
not let them, I don't want them to know what I do. I said, is that possible? She goes, well, I said, I said, there's such a thing as Christian lying sometimes. So if you just, you know, in the spirit of, I don't want them to know that I'm past, that, you know, that they see our church building. That's going to be, I don't want it to change the way we were like. So just, I don't want them to know what I do. She said, okay. So when she introduced us the other night, she just said, Stephen and Marcy, go to a church over here. They, they're leaders in the church. And I kind of thought, okay, that, that's good enough. Last thing she told us, she said, what you need to understand is we, we do everything we do here according to the starfish principle. I'd heard that story. It's one of those things on the Internet you can find about 50 versions of. Somebody wrote it and someone else improved on it. Other people didn't do well and watered it down. You know how those things are. It's a story. That's the main thing. You don't have to verify whether it actually happened. She says, we operate on the principle of the starfish story, okay? Because, you know, the man's walking down the beach and he sees a young man seems to be dancing about 50 yards from him. Then he realizes he's not dancing. He's just quickly reaching down, picking up something, throwing it in the ocean. So he walks up to him and says, son, what are you doing? He said, I'm picking up starfish, throwing them back in the ocean. He said, the tide is running out. The sun's out. If I don't toss them back in, they're going to die. The old man laughed, and he said, son, don't waste your effort. He said, there's miles and miles of beach here. No telling how many starfish there are. And with that, the young man picked up another, tossed it in the ocean, and he said, you're right. But I just made a difference with that one. I think that part of Advent is making a difference. One life at a time, however you want to put it. Whether it's volunteering like I've described. Whether it's finding another avenue of service. Whether it's giving generously, more generously than you ever have before. To those causes God leads you to give toward. Because it isn't about what we want. It never has been. And it never will be. It won't. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to take a close look at this season of the year through the eyes of Scripture. Help us to adjust the way we live. And Father, I do thank you for forgiving me for all the wants I gripe about and supplying my needs. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We close this service this morning with a, a time of invitation. We're going to have ministers standing, and they're basically by the setup here. It's going to be one, one aisle here, one aisle here, and then the side aisles. We'll position our guys there. If there's a, a choice you need to make, I want to encourage you that it could well be that it needs to be one that's made publicly. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, to forgive your sin. We'd invite you to do that this morning, to ask him to be the leader of your life.
Maybe you're here today and you know the Lord, just had never told anyone, have never publicly professed your faith in Him, never followed Him in believer's baptism. We invite you to come, make that choice, and be willing to make a stand. Maybe you're here today and God would lead you to, to join this church, First Baptist Church, Louisville. Only church in this area? No. Lots of churches, lots of great churches around here. I just would ask that you plug into one. And if it honors Christ, great. But maybe you're here today and you feel that this is the place, this is the the church home where God wants me to plug in where I want to belong. And if that's the case, then I invite you and say, come on. Join this church today. And then I know that you know that for most of us, the need is great. The need to acknowledge needs and not wants. And maybe you've been wandering around through the spiritual wilderness trying to find a place to plug in and serve. And maybe something I said today would make you want to ask a question. Say, how can I plug in? If it's adopting a Chin family, all you got to do is just go to the missions booth out there, get information. Doesn't mean you have to do anything. It means you can begin searching. If it's helping with teen moms here in our church, contact Michael Porter, our student minister. There's a place for you to help. There are any number of areas where you could plug in and help that would take your mind off of what you want while you're meeting the needs of people who are desperate. I can't think of a better thing to do. I can't think of a more worthy gift for God to give me Take my mind off of what I want, what I feel are my troubles, because I know how He works. I know. So I would just ask you to consider the same thing. You don't have to have an answer today. Maybe it's that workplace that's driving you mad. Well, just compare your life to a group of people who work for the Roman Emperor. They still manage to say, hey, Paul, tell your friends in Philippi hello. They must be amazing people. How would God work in your life? Asking and then get ready. We stand together. We sing. We wait for you here in the front. Won't you step out? Won't you come forward right now?